When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here we go. Jackson for his tight end, brought in by Mark Andrews, who escapes and goes all the way for the touchdown. Intercepted, picked up by Thomas. Earl Thomas with a foot race. Brown won't get him. That will be six. Running a little option. Jackson beats. Jackson breaks the tackle. He's right to the pylon, and it's a touchdown. Hello and welcome to Pod Like a Raven, episode 5, week 4 in the books. Not the greatest week of of football for for the Baltimore Ravens, but before we get to that, I'm Antonio Barbera. I'm joined in the studio by Tim Horsey. Tim, how's it going? I mean, it's not great, Bob. It's probably the worst feeling I've had doing this podcast. Not that I don't love talking to you guys every week, but yeah, they... um incredibly, incredibly disappointing performance, which I'm sure we will get into uh, momentarily. We, we we said some things about the Cleveland Browns in the past few weeks that we'll, that we'll have to maybe walk back on, but uh, joining us remotely from L.A., Jace Evans. Jace, how, how are you feeling? Yeah, better Mondays in the past. Uh, I've had better days for sure. Um, as Tim said, just kind of a sadness throughout the second half of that, uh, specifically the fourth quarter of that game uh, on Sunday. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of bad to get into, so I think we shall probably get into it here in a minute. <laughs> the Ravens fall at home, 40-25 to against the Browns, who I repeat, we said a lot of bad things hey, about them. you don't have to keep bringing that up. You can just kind of like just let it wash away. For those thousands yeah. and thousands of Browns fans who listen to this podcast, Absolutely. you know, I just got to make sure I get that out there. But anyway, let's get into this game a little bit, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Tim, uh, you want to take the good first? Yeah, I made an awesome crab dip. Ooh. Yeah, that was it. Uh, to take people behind the curtain, Antonio came over for the Friday game, the Maryland Terrapins, which we don't even talk about either. They laid <laughs> an egg worse. <laughs> uh, against Penn State, and I had some extra ingredients from that game, and I decided to take a stab at some crab dip, and it was delicious. Tim, uh, if I may say, the master of, of dips. Oh, thanks. So I'm, I'm a little bummed out I didn't get this crab dip. I, I got extra. Well, for, the ne- <laughs> for the next Browns game, I'll make it again, and maybe we'll have a different result. Sounds good. Yeah. 
But so that's it. No, I don't have any. Other <laughs> that, that, the crab dip. That was it. Jace, did you uh, did you make any food uh, that was good, or maybe you watched a movie after the game, or, or just went outside? <laughs> so, Actually, I think you tweeted about going outside till your like sunset instead of watching the Ravens. Uh, yeah, that was. Uh... No, I, unfortunately, I had to work uh, after consuming that game, um, so it was a lot of just like, all right, put on a brave face and go out into uh, the wilderness that is Los Angeles here. Um, so. so this was a game that was close for the first half, maybe even a little into the third quarter. Seemed like a game where, yes, the Ravens' defense was getting gouged, but the offense was keeping pace, and it was a lot of one score back and forth, back and forth. Uh, the Ravens scored and went for two because John Harbaugh, we've now learned, he's just playing for the win all the time. Uh, and that cut the score to six points. And then just from there, a lot of big plays, a lot of miscommunication, and the Browns pulled away. Um, the one good, I would say, on the defensive side of the ball, Marlon Humphrey absolutely shut down Odell Beckham to the point where this should be like on a sliding scale Odell Beckham games like playing really well to throwing a fit on the field that's like <laughs> at when he plays poorly which he did multiple times but Marlon Humphrey all over him all game shadowed him and that's why he was quiet everybody else got yards and points though so uh <laughs> do we want to d- dive into this defensive performance a little bit yeah sure I mean Marlon Humphrey clearly establishing himself as one of the best corners in the NFL, becoming that guy a la Chris McAllister in his early days before they kind of ramped up the pass interference rules where you legitimately could not throw to his side of the field. And Marlon Humphrey is becoming that guy. That being said, because he was blanketing Odell Beckham Jr., two catches for 20 yards, and one of those was a screenplay. There was nothing Humphrey could do about that reception. Um, Jarvis Landry was wide open a lot of the time, which I'm sure we'll get into. Uh, But having a guy... I mean, without Marlon Humphrey, Baker who th- Baker Mayfield, who threw for 342 yards, might have gone for 500. Like, it was <laughs> it was that bad. You talk about some of the defensive coverages. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah, former scout for the Ravens, now a TV analyst, draft guru type of guy, breaks down film. A really good follow at Move the Sticks on Twitter, I actually just saw. Uh, he put out some videos, I think, either on his Twitter or his Instagram. Apologies, I'm not, I'm not sure which social platform, because weirdly enough, I follow him on both. And he had some some quick videos of these this coverage breakdowns that we've been seeing um, for two weeks now that have been called out by the head coach John Harbaugh, who has said it just has to be better. Stupid mistakes. It's it's not even guys getting torched because of you know a lack of talent or defensive speed, which Jace has talked about a number of times on this podcast. Simple communication errors that have led to big gains and scores for other teams, and it's simply inexcusable. That being said. You're able to mask some of that as much as you can anyway when you have number 44 on one side, which was nice to see. Uh, and I think that's the concern with this defense is it certainly seems like Marlon Humphrey is a top five corner, or certainly heading that way in this league. And so to have someone who can almost essentially take out one team's top weapon or even a side of the field, again, Beckham, two catches, 20 yards, uh, no catches until the fourth quarter, which they said on the broadcast was the first time in his career he hadn't had a catch before the fourth. Um, to have a person like that and still give up the yards that the Ravens gave up yesterday, it's giant concerns across the board. And now Brandon Williams was kind of a late scratch. Uh, that certainly didn't help in the run game. And as Antonio mentioned, the the Browns essentially sealed the game on 
uh, an 88-yard run by Nick Chubb, which was the longest run the Ravens have ever given up. And uh, to echo Tim's point now, the Ravens have given up over 500 yards in uh, back-to-back games, excuse me, for the first time in franchise history. So there are just big-time concerns on this defensive side. Yeah, the, the Ravens have had games where they gave up points, where they gave up yards, but in most of those cases, it was one aspect of the other team's offense that dominated you you know we went into this game hoping and you know wishing that the ravens run defense would have made the browns one dimensional and that baker would then have to make plays and run out of time and and make mistakes but nick chubb 20 20 carries 165 yards could not be tackled i mean atrocious tackling performance from the ravens defense all 11 guys and once you couldn't stop one, you know, the rushing side of the game, then you couldn't. St- then there was the mistakes in the passing game, and that's how you give up 500 yards and 40 points. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, having Brandon Williams not there is a big story. Uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about it a little later. There was a report of a bust up between him and Earl Thomas, who is going to fall out of favor very quickly if he keeps running his mouth and not performing to the level that he should be. Um, you know, the second week in a row where he said, we got tired of the hype and I'm going to stop all the big plays for Kansas City um, in reverse order, obviously. Neither of those things happened. Uh, the hype was real with Cleveland, uh, thanks to some of our, our failings. And Nick Chubb commented afterwards, there were holes, or he said he said it was wide open. It is, it, paraphrasing here, he said it was wide open, talking to the reporter, saying you could have run through that hole which is an incredible indictment for a team. Yeah, you lost Brandon Williams. You still have a pretty strong front line. Um, Owasso and Kenny Young are two guys that I don't think we gave, uh, we weren't worried enough about maybe in the preseason as two young, fast linebackers we thought were going to be really good. Neither of them showed up. The tackling was inexcusable. It was an absolute joke watching these guys. Nobody wants to wrap up anymore. They're trying to just knock guys out with shoulder hits, and it's just not happening. And, And the biggest issue for me is the secondary. Again, we talk about it over and over again. This was supposed to be the strength of this team. You have, excuse me, three guys, no, four guys. I'm looking right now, according to SpotTrack.com, does wonderful stuff on contracts and and the salary cap and things. Four defensive backs in the top seven in terms of cap hit for the Baltimore Ravens. Not one of them is named Marlon Humphrey. Jimmy Smith, obviously he's hurt. $15.8 million cap hit. Tony Jefferson, who was supposed to be this great guy. He was really good with Weddle for a couple seasons here. He's fallen off the map. He's part of the reason he's part of these miscommunications that I talked about before. He's got a $12.6 million cap hit. Everyone's favorite, Brandon Carr, $7 million cap hit. Earl Thomas, $7 million cap hit. These guys are paid for a reason outside of Brandon Carr, which, you know, is a whole different story. I think these guys are obviously being paid this amount of money for a reason and they're not living up to the billing. And when you're losing a, a big front-line guy like that, and maybe the, the run game is a little more open than it usually is, it shouldn't have been that open, clearly, those guys have to step up. And, you know, we talked about the offensive line being the issue and being the thing that could ruin this season for the Ravens. Right now, it's the unit that we thought was going to be the strongest part, and that's the defensive secondary. It, it's so weird to be doing these shows, and obviously back in the old Ravens wrap-up days, we would talk about what went wrong, and it was always, wow, the offense really stalled out. And I feel like so far in this season, we've had almost no complaints about the offense, and now they haven't been great. But it's a very surreal feeling, I think, as a Ravens fan, to just be watching 
you know, these defensive performances every week. And obviously communication has been a big problem. And in regards to Earl Thomas, you wonder, is it just, you know, him acclimating with the Ravens system? Is he still struggling physically to come back from his broken leg, which did end his year last year? Um, he had only previously played under Pete Carroll, I believe, his entire career, who's a noted defensive back guru. Um, so you wonder if it's integration with him. And then I think, and we talked about this as a problem, but just it's possible the Ravens just lost too much in free agency. And we're so used to this team having, you know, the through the draft, it's like next man up. But it, it's clear to me, at least, that it's just a drop off, especially like you just said, Tim, with those linebacker position in particular. Like <laughs> CJ Mosley got paid a lot, but I don't know. He 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 called a lot and Weddle called a lot and. Like you just wonder how different things would be with because uh, communication breakdowns have been so key this season. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, talent wise, you can argue that Earl Thomas, when they signed him, like, oh man, he's younger than Weddle. He's coming yes. off the injury, but he's at least comparable. The middle linebacker thing was an issue, but I mean, he got paid what, like eighty million? Yeah, he got like thirty Jets. million more than Luke Keekley, who yeah. is my Hall of Fame, future Hall of Famer. <laughs> yeah, which is which is, is absurd. But then you lose a guy like Terrell Suggs, a veteran leader who was clearly falling off, and I, I don't well, necessarily disagree he, with them he's getting in the rid of him. the top ten in sacks right now, well, yeah, <laughs> believe I, it or not. Of course he is. And this is, a, this is a classic case of guys that the Ravens you know, got rid of that maybe are actually flourishing, which usually it's the complete other way around. But it's not necessarily just a talent drop-off. I think from the linebacker standpoint, it definitely is. But, Jace, you make a great point there. These were leaders on your defense and guys who were calling the plays and making adjustments at the line when they needed to. And it's just clearly not happening right now, and they're being exposed up and down the field. Yeah, we we sort of just assumed that Earl Thomas would come in and take that leadership role, but it's very difficult when you're joining a new team and you're learning everything. Yeah, you're the veteran, but you're sort of playing catch-up with a lot of this stuff and these complicated schemes. I want to go back to, uh, to the Brandon Williams absence that you mentioned when I saw that come across I sort of I looked for a second and thought no we'll be okay I mean that's the perfect spot that Pierce will come in and he'll just fill that that role and everything's gonna be fine but looking back I think that was a big issue because of the linebackers that we have these linebackers (laughs) are fast they can cover which we thought was going to be the thing that was going (laughs) to differentiate them from the linebacking core of the year before but guess what they are getting blown off the line by offensive lines that that we've seen in multiple weeks now and when you don't have Pierce and Brandon Williams in at the same time, it's become a disaster. Uh, and not only are they getting blown off, but they also don't tackle. They're not as you know fluid of tacklers. Uh, and as soon as Chubb got to the outside, I mean, how many times did they just dive for his feet and he was by them on the edge? Yeah, Pierce, a guy you mentioned too, who's, who's do do a big, pretty big contract coming up here. He's in the last year of his deal. If they don't improve that middle linebacking core, it's going to be essential to have. Both of those hogs up front to eat up blockers because these guys just aren't big enough anymore to deal with the offensive linemen. And, and man, Jace, you pointed out, man, and I, I mentioned it last week about being more comfortable with the offense on the field than the defense. It is sad. As a Balt- I'm, I'm, What's our identity? I'm serious. As a Baltimore Ravens fan, I've grown up on – I kind of miss the crappy offense. No, I'm kidding. I, 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 the dominant defense and just – the confidence in them that they'll be able to get off the field. Now it's like third and 13, and I'm still worried that like more often than not, they're not going to be able to get off the field. And they were not able to get off the field 
and it wears them down consistently. And even though the offense did okay, this offense is not built to come from behind, which they had to do pretty much the whole game. You know, Lamar was okay in this game, and I'm sh- I know we'll talk about the offense in a second, but I want to know. I want to know how. <laughs> Legitimately, I want to know how other Ravens fans are dealing with this like identity crisis of, wait, is this defense bad now? <laughs> they, they're they're twenty fifth in the league in points and yards allowed, I believe. They're officially yeah. a bottom eight defense in the NFL as we speak. This is just something that we're not used to, and Lord, I hope it changes. Well, I, 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 to your I point, just it. then, I wrote down so twenty fifth in yards. If that keeps up, it would be. Their worst finish since 1996, which for those Ravens fans at home is the first year of the team. (laughs) And then it would just be the first time the Ravens finished even in the 20s in yards allowed uh, since 2002, which was Ed Reed's rookie year. And Ray Lewis only played five games. And that was a big post uh, Super Bowl team purge. A lot of salary cap issues. Uh, They lost Dwayne Starks, Jamie Sharper. So, yeah, so we're looking at one of. If it keeps up, potentially the worst Ravens defense of all time. And it's just kind of shocking on a number of levels. Yeah, and it should be mentioned here, there's been a lot of talk of, you know, oh, well, you have to sacrifice this defense to get some of these weapons on offense. I would wholeheartedly disagree at the moment because all of our offensive weapons aren't being paid that much. They're also, right. the, the big guys are mostly on rookie deals. When you talk about Hollywood Brown, you talk about Mark Andrews, you talk about uh, Lamar Jackson, obviously. Mark Ingram wasn't a premier signing in terms of spending all this money they spent the money on the defensive side of the ball tony jefferson a few years ago earl thomas obviously and it's just really really has not worked out for them at the moment and you know i don't know they signed a guy lj fort today maybe he can fix all the issues (laughs) i mean and that's that's a sign of how concerned this team is i i don't think they've been a team to often sign defensive players mid-season and this is really a bit player that they are, um, have, Harbaugh has immediately said he's going to compete for snaps well, almost immediately at the in, inside linebacker position. There was that, and we saw yesterday too, um, just during the game, Ravens trailing, uh, following after they gave up, you know, the big uh, Chubb touchdown. They're trailing 30 to 18. Um, and Harbaugh keeps the offense on the field on uh, their own side of the 50 uh, to try for a fourth down, not down a ton of points because he had just seen. So I wrote this down because this is, it it wasn't just that they gave up big plays yesterday, the defense. It was the moments they did too. They gave up a 65 yard pass to Landry right after the Ravens scored their first TD to tie it up, which helped the Browns get a field goal before the half. With some of Um, the worst tackling I've ever seen. I mean, it was like three or four different guys that as Tim, as you mentioned, didn't wrap up. They just tried to do the shoulder hit, and he just sort of bounced off of it and should have scored. But, Jason, sorry, continue. Yeah, he if he didn't fall down himself, that would have been a touchdown. <laughs> but they punched, or uh, they ended up with, I guess, a field goal off that. Uh, Ricky Seals-Jones, 59 yards after the Ravens made a field goal uh, to tie it up at 10-10 right out of halftime. Um, that led in uh, player two to the Browns' 17-10 lead. And then once the Ravens cut it to 24-18, um, which, again, the Browns went up because while the Ravens were driving, Mark Ingram, uh, an unfortunate fumble, first Ravens turnover of the year, actually, on offense. Um, Browns immediately went down and scored. But then the Ravens responded on offense, 24-18, six-point game, and that's when the Chubb uh, 88-yard run happens on first and 15, 88-yard run. Um, uh, Which, again, I think I mentioned it, but that's the longest TD run the Ravens have ever allowed. Um... And there was no one even in sniffing distance of him at the by the fifty yard line. It was 
Um, so it was just it's disheartening, I think, especially when, you know, I think we've been so used to the offense not being able to do anything that when, you know, the offense, they did. They definitely started slow yesterday, but when they were able to, you know, tie the game twice, they immediately give up long play and then to cut it to six and the defense not only doesn't give a stop, they give up the longest TD the team has ever allowed on the run against or with the run. It's it's just brutal. And it's it was it was definitely hard to watch yesterday. Yeah. We We love Lamar. Where Lamar stands on this podcast, we made the joke a million times. And it's nice to see the offense kind of performing at a level that, honestly, we haven't seen for for a long time. If if not ever, outside of a few <laughs> moments. You know, you think of the second Super Bowl. But they cannot, you cannot consistently just rely on them to keep pace. Now, Lamar's saying all the right things. He said, you know, we didn't score enough points when we needed to. Obviously, uh, with the we talked about it last week. The Browns being without two of their top corners, and we weren't really able to expose them. Um, I I love what they're doing on the offensive side with Greg Roman and Lamar Jackson, but that doesn't mean that they should be expected to carry the load for this team. It was supposed to be the defense to a degree, kind of setting the tone to allow the Ravens to then control the clock on the offensive side of the ball, eat up time, and then the defense making stops when they have to. And they're just clearly not doing it. And, I mean, whew, thank God we are in the worst division in football. <laughs> well, because if not, this could be this could be a whole different story for Baltimore right yeah, it's, now. Yeah, it's going to be tough the next few weeks seeing how Cleveland responds to this because it's obviously it looks like a two-horse race at this point. Jace, you're, you're talking about those different drives for the Browns. They scored on six straight drives at a certain point from the end of the first half to the beginning of the second uh second half um and this right tim i mean you you hit the nail on the head this is a team that's not we've we've scored a lot of points we've gotten a lot of yards but this is not an air it out offense and it doesn't want to be because it they are end up in a situation where there's zero margin for error they want to be running the ball running the ball running the ball and shortening the game and they haven't been able to do that in the last few weeks because they've been down early and and Lamar has had to become a pass first guy and with these this I'll call it I guess shootout I guess when it was going touchdown 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 the margin for error was we can't turn the ball over and Ingram did and he fumbled and the whole balance of the game shifted on one turnover from a team that hadn't turned the ball over once the whole (laughs) season so it was gonna happen at some point and when it did happen the game was almost over, like within five or six plays. And, and that's why I, I can't blame the offense too much. You know, turnovers are going to happen, but it was an unfortunate time for one. And I think it does speak to how little faith I had and have, I guess, in this defense that I was like, oh, the Ravens needed points there. Um, because like we said, the Browns went right down um, and went up uh, 24-10. And like you said, that was ultimately too big a hold to really climb out of. The Ravens, after the game, all saying the right things. I'll give them credit for that. None of them have shied away from this. None of them have said, oh, we played good teams, you know, so this is the result to expect. You know, Harbaugh and the players have taken accountability. They seem upset. They seem embarrassed. Uh, And I hope that they figure it out soon because the schedule is not forgiving. Uh, The next (laughs) few weeks, you continue in this AFC North march against the Steelers and the Bengals. Then you go travel to Seattle and home against the Pats. So that is going to be, a, I mean, the team is 2-2. Two and two, They look great, and then they look terrible. So next month is going to really prove what kind of team this could be. Possible they go 1-3 and three in those four games unless they fix the mistakes and get back to the, you know, sort of the run first. 
mentality where they can actually do that when they're not chasing the game. Sure. I, I, I do want to make a quick comment as well. Um, you know, I, I know we all kind of want to get off this game as soon as possible because it's been <laughs> miserable. Um, one thing that I know Jace pointed out on Twitter at Sir, uh, at uh, Jace T. Evans on Twitter, I should say, um, <laughs> that I noticed too that it's going to be infuriating the entire season is that because people see a team in purple playing defense, they just assume they're good at defense when they're constantly giving up 400 yards or over 400 yards of offense. And it's like, oh, this Ravens story defense. No, that era is over. Yeah, and I hope it comes we, back. For the time we, being, they are not there. It is it is a shadow of what this defense used to be. Um, and then a couple of other things, too. Uh, we asked on different social media platforms for your good, bad, and ugly. Uh, so I just want to shout a few people out because they, we always love when uh, listeners contribute and, and make our jobs a little bit easier. Got some responses. Yeah, a couple of responses Beautiful. here. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, Andrew Ironman, who I actually went to high school with, so thank you for listening, bud. I appreciate that. He says Marlon Humphrey holding Odell Beckham Jr. to two for uh, two for twenty, which we talked about. Bad is the offense not capitalizing on the Browns' secondary injuries, which I completely agree with. Ugly is the rest of the defense. He then added to that, he said, or you could go this way. Good, the weather, bad, my sunburn, ugly, was getting sympathy from Browns fans walking out of the game, which I just can't even imagine how horrible that was. And then one more here. Uh, Ricard Olsen, who I believe, and I have to double-check this, I believe lives in Sweden. I know he is Swedish. Uh, he, he's a big soccer fan, too. He followed me a, a while back. Um, so if he's listening all the way over in Sweden, buddy, I, I really appreciate it. Thank you for that. Some European love. Yeah, I love it. He said, uh, Humphrey is really good. The bad is we lost the division lead. And the ugly, and this is going to come to rear its ugly head, even if, it, even if he doesn't may necessarily deserve most of this hate, is that Earl looks bad, and we gave him four years and $55 million. So we'll see how that progresses. Again, I, I kind of make – I made the point about his comments – I like that he's confident. I like that he's trying to step up and kind of be a leader in this in this in this defense. I don't have a huge problem with the bust up after the game. Guys are pissed. They're embarrassed. You know, it was it was a, it was a horrible game to play in and be on one side of the uh, of the field. There. That being said, if it becomes a recurring issue and he's not backing up with his play, it's it's something more to monitor than I would think. Panic about at this moment. I'm I'm not as concerned with the long term with Earl Thomas because it hasn't. He's looked fast. He's looked athletic. I haven't had concerns. And it was the injury that you were worried about. Yeah. Uh, it's just been mistakes, and he looks like. I mean, I'm like I'm not going to pretend that I'm like an NFL X's and O's guys, but on a lot of these plays, it looks like he's just guessing wrong. A lot of the big plays, he has guessed short. And there are plays where there's like two receivers running different routes, and he bites on the short route, and the guy running, you know, the, the fly is by him, uh, and then it's a big 60, 70-yard play. Well, and I, and I believe this was in uh, Jeff Zrebeck's piece in The Athletic, um, but he mentioned the, uh, the, the headset had gone from Patrick Owasso to um, uh, Tony Jefferson after the first two games, which is interesting considering, obviously, the Ravens won the first two games, but also... I guess it just kind of surprised me that Earl Thomas isn't the guy who had the headset. So I don't know if that's a change they'll make or um, or what. But uh, it seems like to me that Earl Thomas would be the guy you want. And I don't know if that's, you know, a communication breakdown maybe coming from Jefferson to Thomas. Again, it's hard to know without really being in the room. Um, you could watch film, but that only tells you so much because you don't fully know what people are actually supposed to have been doing on any given play. Um, so it's definitely, I, I think with Thomas, I agree with you, Antonio, I'm less concerned long-term just cause 
we have such a long track record of Earl Thomas being really good at what he does. Um, and I think when he gets more fully, I guess, integrated into this team, I have to imagine the results will at least improve a little bit. And you certainly hope it can't get much worse than what we've seen these last two weeks. Yeah, look, we can talk about, and, and you make the great point, you know, none of us are crushing film all the time and we're not coaches and we're not in there. But just from what they're saying and what you're seeing on the field with guys running wide open, the talent is there, especially in the defensive backfield. The communication issues have to stop, and they have to stop now. Or this season, regrettably, in week four, at the end of week four, we could be staring down the barrel of a very long and miserable couple <laughs> couple of Monday nights recording this podcast. And, and the AFC North is there for the Ravens. Absolutely. Well, and that, that's the positive, I think, to take away from this game, if there is one outside of the play of Marlon Humphrey, is the Browns are 2-2, two and two, the Ravens are 2-2. Two and two. Uh, The other two division mates are currently locked in a 3 nothing Bengals lead when I last just checked a moment ago, uh, and they're both 0-3. Um, so, yeah, the AFC North and the AFC in general, um, there's only three teams above 500 in the AFC. And there's eight in the NFC. So you're probably looking at eight and eight, nine and seven might make a wild card in the AFC this year. So the Ravens, it's a quarter of the way through. The defense looks really bad. There's still three quarters of the season to improve. And everything they want to accomplish realistically this season, I think they probably still can. And that's our somber recap of week four. The Ravens, they're not good, but they'll be better. Maybe. <laughs> I'm done with it. I'm done. I'm done. Move on. We're on to Pittsburgh. We're on to Pittsburgh. We're on to Pittsburgh. So speaking of, let's turn our attentions briefly to the AFC North because there's not too, too much to recap outside of the fact that the Ravens played the Browns uh, and one matchup and the other matchup between the Steelers and Bengals is happening right now. The shootout that everybody wants to watch, Andy Dalton versus Mason Rudolph, uh, (laughs) where they're in the first quarter as we sit and record. Uh, One thing I do want to talk about uh, the Bengals coming out with the news that it looks like A.J. Green is not going to come back in the next few weeks, which will mean he will miss the Ravens game. And if there were ever one player on a bad team who could crush the Ravens, especially given the state of their secondary, it would have been A.J. Green. So I'm feeling a little bit better about uh, about that Bengals matchup. I flip-flopped every week between the Ravens sweeping the Bengals and splitting <laughs> with the Bengals, and I'm back on the sweep. Uh, can't, can't wait to take two from Cincinnati this year. Yeah, I feel bad for A.J. Green. I know he's absolutely tortured the Ravens and had, I believe, three touchdowns in the second quarter alone of last year's game in Cincinnati. Um, but because uh, he's so good and he'll just go down as so unappreciated given that he spent his entire career for a Bengals team that never won a playoff game, most likely. Um, nah, who cares? He got plenty of money. He torched us way too many times. I don't feel bad for him at all. Fair. <laughs> and Jace, you you touched on it towards the end of uh, of the uh, recap that we did of the Browns game, but the AFC North. Uh, actually, do you want to touch on this? Because I, I know this is your factoid here about uh, the N- NFC North. Excuse me, AFC North's combined record. Yeah. So. Um... They entered today 4-12, and by far the worst record in the NFL, uh, cumulatively by any division. Um, it'll probably be 5-10, and so not much better by night's end. It would be really funny if it's 4-10-1. Um, but uh, yeah, 4-10, four, four and 10. so it's not exactly... It really... The good news for the Ravens, it looks like, I think, unless the Browns really go on a run... 
because they are playing, I guess, a third place schedule. But four, nine wins, ten wins, probably wins the North this year. I'd be surprised if the top two AFC seeds aren't the Chiefs and the Pats at this point. Um, And so I think that puts what the Ravens can hope to accomplish kind of in, you know, more, I guess, uh, vividly. Um, But uh, yeah, like they can just they'll probably be playing the AFC North winner will be playing on wildcard weekend. Most likely um, <laughs> the way it stands right now. So the good news is the Ravens are two and two. That also ties them atop the division. Um, looking at, at Cleveland's schedule the next few weeks, they play at home, or excuse me, on the road against the 49ers. That looks like it's a night game. I'm not yeah, it's sure if that's the Monday, Monday night, night game Sunday next night. week. Uh, so that's a West Coast trip. Then they play home against the Seahawks, and then they travel to the Pats. I'm going to cross my fingers for 0-3 out of those. Out of we those should say games. the San Francisco 49ers, one of three undefeated teams in the NFL right now, like we all predicted. <laughs> they had a bye this week. And uh, so that's another thing. They'll have two weeks to have prepared for this game at home. I, I love the 49ers uh, taking care of Cleveland next week. Anything else on the AFC North, guys? Pretty brief. Any, any thoughts on Mason Rudolph? I guess we can get into the, the that game when we preview the Steelers matchup next week. Yeah, I, yeah, I, a, I legitimately have zero thoughts on Mason Rudolph. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, he's a backup quarterback out of all of these, and I know we'll talk about this when we when we touch on the we got a little bit of an extended NFL recap because we don't have the AFC North to really talk about. But out of these like backup quarterbacks who are in playing and like making all the headlines, he seems to be one of the worst ones. <laughs> um, he's he's no Gardner Minshew, thank the Lord, because I actually like that guy. I would hate if he played on, Pitts, on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, but yeah, I, we'll, we'll have to see. I could also see that guy. We go into Pittsburgh and he throws for three fifty and three touchdowns. Like, oh, it, I it, it could absolutely have, happen at this point. I have concerns for sure, but I'll save them for the game recap or the game preview. <laughs> Let's move on to the NFL as a whole. Then, uh, you know, Tim, you touched on it. So I want to, I want to jump into this first. We'll go in a little bit of a reverse order that we, that we planned here, but Two more starting quarterbacks went down this week, Josh Allen and Mitch Trubisky, bringing the total number of quarterbacks uh, who finished a game on Sunday but did not start week one to ten. We are four weeks into the NFL season, and ten teams had a quarterback finish the game on Sunday who did not start week one. This has to do with some injury stuff, some... uh, uh, you know, putting in a rookie quarterback who may or may not be ready to take on the Washington Redskins, uh-huh. whatever Miami's doing with their two quarterbacks. But um, <laughs> I want to talk about this. What is going on here with all these quarterbacks going down, either with injury or, or quality? Jace, you and I have had several conversations yeah. about how it's amazing that we can't find 32 good NFL <laughs> quarterbacks in America. Yeah, it's. I guess it just speaks to how much the NFL season at 16 games is just a war of attrition. Um, it's definitely so long. Like you think back once you're in like December and you're like, wow, that was, that feels like ages ago that the Ravens like beat the dolphins, um, when we're like in mid December and there's still two, three weeks of games left. Um, it's definitely a brutal sport. And at the same time, there's certainly no way to make it safer. Uh, I, it's hard to think. Of too many ways. I mean, kick Vontae's perfect out of the league. We'll, <laughs> well get to that in a second. Yeah, we'll get to him in a second. But uh, 
Yeah, like with Josh Allen, I'm a little surprised the Patriots guy was not ejected for that. It was about as blatant of a kind of headshot as you'll see on a QB. Um, and it's unfortunate because, you know, he certainly wasn't having a, a good game yesterday. But he's still, you know, one of the NFL's kind of quote unquote up and coming QBs. Um, and same with Trubisky in a lot of ways. You know, it looked like, oh, maybe he figured something out against the albeit the Redskins. But now he looks like he's going to be out for several weeks because, you know, shoulder injuries, regardless of what arm, not good. Um but yeah, it's just the NFL season is such a slog in a lot of ways, and it, it it's kind of crazy to have this much turnover. Yeah, it's it's showing too. First of all, if you would have given me that stat in the preseason and say, hey, by week four you're gonna have ten new guys, I would have been terrified that Robert Griffin the <laughs> third was starting for the Baltimore Ravens. Um, so it's good to, good to see that Lamar is still healthy and very smart when running the ball. Still probably takes one too many hits, but any mobile quarterback you could say that about, especially when without him I think this team would really crumble. Um, it also shows the value of having a, a good backup quarterback in this league too. Like, again, you know, RG3, former number number two pick, not saying I would expect him to be fantastic if, if Doomsday came and he was starting, but it's not – it's not the Mason Rudolph factor where you're like, oh man, I think the season is over. Not to, you know, not to put him in a grave already right before we play him like we did with Cleveland last week because that really worked <laughs> out. But a guy like Teddy Bridgewater, I mean, I don't think he played incredible. And t- to be fair, I only saw the highlights of the game. So if either of you saw that game last night, feel free to jump in here. But a guy like Ugly. that, yeah, of course. <laughs> Yeah. But a guy like that with that pedigree who can manage that offense at least, you know, he's never going to be Breeze, but having someone that can, you know, for lack of a better term, be a great game manager. I mean, you think of Chase Daniel. I don't really know how great Chase Daniel is. He's been in the league forever. He's always been a backup quarterback. He's never really been good enough or shown enough to be a starter. But all he's got to do is score 17 points with that freaking defense they have. You know what I mean? So I think this is – it's really showing that – You'd have a 53-man roster, and a lot of the times, guys, they're only going to carry two quarterbacks, and you're not really going to pay for uh, an experienced backup who's going to cost you more money because you want to spend that other places. Now I think it's showing that you might need to consider that. And exactly to your point, Bridgewater is a former first-round pick himself, terrible knee injury, has fought his way back. Uh, He is the highest-paid backup in the league, and I think the Saints, um, and, you know, he has a... I set the world on fire, certainly, but he's done enough for them to win two games without Drew Brees. Um, And when you got you have still Super Bowl aspirations with your star QB out six to eight weeks, two wins is huge. And if he can get them even more, that's great. And so, yeah, I think that's certainly an investment the Saints are glad they made at this point. So I completely agree with you. Let me ask you guys both a question here, too, because we have to start looking at and it's a little different with the guys who are rookies who were already going to take over at some point. But who are some of these guys who have stepped in, and, and you can name the rookies if you'd like, in a more immediate capacity, that are going to step in and, and show that they deserve to be a starting quarterback in this league? Is there anybody that's really stuck out to you? I know my guy, but he's just a legend, and I mentioned him last week anyway, so I, I will defer to you two first before I go ahead. 
is Chase Daniel better for the Bears than Mitch Trubisky? I mean, Has anybody had this hot take yet? I mean, maybe. Oh, that he's going to be a better game manager than Mitch Trubisky. And may he's not going to throw for 300 yards, but he also won't throw for 80 yards. Yeah. <laughs> and, and not turn the ball over. And, and, yeah, and, just not throwing pick sixes. I mean, <laughs> this Bears defense, I saw some stat that they haven't given up over 20 points and only they're, they've... They're like under 20 points in like nine straight games dating back to last season, including playoffs. Uh, somehow still only seven and two in that span because Tr- Mitch Trubisky. Um, Enjoy it, <laughs> Chicago. Please enjoy but, it. Yeah, the Bears are really where kind of, you know, we so we saw this as Ravens fans, the Trent Dilfer led Ravens. It was the big you look at their stats. The only real difference between him and Tony Banks that season was that Dilfer didn't throw the interceptions quite at the same rate Tony Banks did. Otherwise, they produced almost exactly the same in terms of how much they actually added offensively. So I don't want to say Chase Daniels better than Mitch Trubisky, but if he he we probably do know he will probably take care of the ball more than Mitch Trubisky. And with that defense, that might be enough, honestly. <laughs> uh, my, I'm gonna have a, an actual serious, sure. uh, serious response for you. I don't disagree, Chase. I, I was mostly bringing that up as a joke, but, but I would love to see Chase play a few games and uh, and see how the how the team looks at the end of those games. Daniel Jones, I think, is my guy. Sure. I mean, that's an easy yeah. pick. You know, he's the super high draft pick who everybody thought it was gonna be. You know, a hilarious dumpster fire in New York, and he's actually looked. He's looked okay. He's looked like a rookie. Uh, but he's brought spark and fire to a team that clearly needed it, and they've won two games. I mean, they went from a laughing stock two weeks in to and another him, two and two. And with him, the difference is just Eli just can't move anymore. And, yeah. you know, we've seen, I think, kind of across the board, you know, QBs who can run the ball a little bit or at least move around in the pocket. And it just gives, I mean, you watch the first week against he played together the first start he got against the bucks you know fourth and fourth and five he ran it right up the gut which certainly was not something that uh you know eli was ever going to do in the last eight years so um yeah he's exciting to watch for sure so tim talk talk to us about your guy it's got to be gardner Minshew, man come on and and i hate i still root for joe flacco i have a very good friend of mine who's a denver broncos fan so i hate to see them sitting at zero and four but Minshew leading the comeback. Minshew mania. Ja- the Jaguars are relevant in a weird way. They have one of the, the the hottest topics in the league at quarterback right now. This guy's an absolute legend. Football guy through and through. You gotta <laughs> love that. I mean, I told the the Jack Daniels and the Hammer story last week, which is just one of the most incredible things I've ever heard. Um, having somebody <laughs> that the guys can rally around and a, and a fan base, which... I mean, not to be mean to the Jaguars, but they're one of the most irrelevant franchises in American sports. Like, not even just the NFL. Yeah, they're, just, they're one they're just, of, like, what, four or five teams that have never made the Super Bowl? And this is their 25th season. There's not much to say about the Jags, so he's a good cult hero for sure. He's been yeah, good. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you paid Nick Foles a ton of money, and I, you'd have to, you'll have to tell me if and when he's coming back this season. I honestly cannot remember. But... If Minshew continues to win, I mean, he's not lighting it up. He went for 19 for 33, 213 yards and two touchdowns. But, I mean, you just watch the highlights and some of the plays he was making, scrambling around in the pocket, you know, dodging defenders, finding the open man. Like, it was fun and it was exciting football to watch. And and it was something that I think these Jaguar fans have been screaming out for for a while. I was skeptical about signing Nick Foles to a mega contract. Obviously, you know, can't really do anything about the injury week one. But he comes back and he's ready to play and... 
if Minshew has them in contention at least, what do you do? You, you yeah. have to keep up with Gardner well, Minshew, right? And every team of the AFC South is two and two right now, so yeah. they're certainly not out of it. <laughs> um, Absolutely. So. It would be the perfect story for Gardner Minshew to lead this team to the playoffs, and then Nick Foles wins another Super Bowl as just the <laughs> random guy that comes back. That would, be, that would be pretty funny. Uh, yeah. But Foles, I am reading here, uh, on injured reserve, but supposed to come back week 11. Okay. Uh, but that gives uh, that gives Gardner quite some time to establish himself as the starter. If the yeah, Jags it's are it's his streak. runway. That'll be uh, he has to play poorly enough to warrant going back to Foles. Probably but Foles is not. Yeah, he's not quite that level where as soon as he comes in, he's uh, guaranteed to be the starter. We've seen him bounce in and out of, of starting lineups for his entire career, basically. Um, all right, so let's move on then a little bit. I want to talk about. Uh, the like, Jekyll and Hyde of the NFL this season, and there have been a few teams in particular. I want to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the Minnesota <laughs> Vikings, who every other week seem like playoff teams and then teams that don't belong in the NFL. Take your pick on which one you want to talk about, but uh, I mean, Minnesota has maybe been the most entertaining well, <laughs> for me, but, but, but I'll, I'll let you guys go first. I, I was going to say, the Vikings, I think, in terms of Jekyll and Hydeness, are unparalleled. They truly look like they might be th- the best team in the NFL when they play at home. They look unst- they've looked unstoppable in Minneapolis, and that Kirk Cousins can't complete a pass when they go on the road. It's insane. It's it makes no sense. They might have offense and defense, the most talented team in the NFC North, and I believe they're currently in last place <laughs> thanks to the Lions' tie. So, um. It's very confusing. I don't know if it's as simple as just home and away. I think Kirk Cousins is certainly a big part of that. And when they've had to, you know, kind of play from behind, that hasn't gone great for them. Um, But they've been astounding to watch this season for reasons both good and bad. Yeah, I'm going to go with Philly. Um, Only because if you listen to the first episode of this podcast in the preseason, I picked Philly over 11 and a half, I think. Was it the the over-under on total wins? That seems like a lot. It was was like 10. It was 10 and a half or 11. It was very, very high. Let me me do some digging here. And I I bought in on Philly. Um, I thought they were going to be an incredible team. Obviously, injuries have hit them, both Deshaun Jackson, Alshon Jeffrey, to name a few. Um, I mean, their injury report, they have... I'm looking at it now, 10 to 12 guys who are hurt, which is always hard to deal with. I love Doug Peterson, but yeah, man, they have, they've just got some weird wins and losses this season. (laughs) Um, Obviously played pretty well against the Packers in a a dramatic Thursday night game, which I know we'll get to. Whooped up on the Redskins, and then lost to the Falcons, who are, for my money, dead. I mean, I I don't know what is up with them. Dan it's, Quinn, Dan Quinn, it's time for him to go. I think, and it's a real and it race between him and era. Jay Gruden to be the uh, first coach fired. It seems, yeah, like. yeah, yeah. Dan Quinn and Jay Gruden. Um, it might be a case of maybe it's time to move on from Matty Ice too. You know, it's, it's he was drafted in two thousand eight. It's been eleven years now, um, and then a loss to the Lions too, which the Lions are better than everybody thought they were. Uh, to their credit, gave the Chiefs a hell of a game uh, this past weekend. But the Eagles, man, maybe when they get healthy, they'll be fine. But in that division, the Cowboys are finally playing some actual competition, so we'll see how good they are, obviously with the loss to the Saints um, on the Sunday night football game. But they can beat up they should be able to beat up on the Redskins again and two more over Danny Dimes and the Giants, you would think. But still, for right now, it's pretty inconsistent, which is interesting to see. By the way, I love it. 
I don't necessarily I give picks on this show. I don't necessarily use real money to gamble on this show. So it's not necessarily horrible for me in terms of an up and down NFL. But I know some people, you know, might be a little lighter in the wallet because some of these crazy results. But I love the the topsy turvy. Can't really guess. Um, um, you know, nature of some of these teams. And, and this week in particular was wild in that regard, it Tim. It was, yeah, it was crazy. Makes no sense. I mean, did did some of us uh, enjoy when the Eagles lost to the Lions at home? No. No, we did not enjoy that. <laughs> so, Tim, the over-under for the Eagles was nine and a half wins. So okay. you're well well in play here okay. for, for 10 and 6, but not if they keep the inconsistency. So many mistakes, drop yep. balls. Yep. Uh, I think in that Lions game, they dropped like eight or nine passes between all the receivers. So it's been... Very strange, but I mean, it, it, that's why people love the NFL, I guess, you know, is, is that you are surprised every week and you think everything is, is easy to predict and then the Lions almost beat the Chiefs. Uh, so let's move on. A few quick other things. Jason, I know you want to talk about Vontaze Perfect. I don't know yeah, if you take 30 seconds with, uh, with him. Our uh, good friend, Vontaze Perfect, former, uh, former Bengals linebacker, um, has gotten suspended for the remainder of the season uh, for a cheap helmet-to-helmet uh, cheap shot hit against the Colts' Jack Doyle in uh, Sunday's game. Um, and this is a clear case, you know, very multi-time repeater of these kind of on-field infractions. Um, and they've suspended him for the year. Now, I imagine the NFLPA, as is their job, will have to appeal the decision and i would imagine he probably gets a few games taken off of it because it's a fairly unprecedented to, to have a full rest of season this 12 game suspension um uh but um yeah it certainly seems like he'll be done most if not all of this season which is for someone who keeps taking these cheap shots and doesn't seem to learn from it probably was the right call by the league yeah, former Bengal and still current piece of garbage. I mean, just just get him out of the league. I'm it, I'm fed up with these guys. I mean, look, we talk about you know we miss the days of the Ravens defense. I miss the jacked up segment on Countdown on ESPN. The league is different now. You can't be doing that to guys. That hit was disgusting. Yeah, it was brutal. It's really trying to take out the guy's head. Um, you know, I don't remember. I be, I can't remember what actually happened to the player he hit. Um, you hope he's okay. Uh, Doyle is okay. He was. Okay. Uh, he didn't have any like. He stayed in the game. Didn't have like any concussion symptoms or any Good. of that by all re- accounts. So yeah, I mean, it's just it's the game has changed and it's not for guys like that anymore. And and clearly, you still have to play some sort of defense. And and we can argue all day about man, it's so hard to cover in this league now. It's so hard to play defense in this league now because you can't hit guys. But. That even crosses over that line. It was an inexcusable act. It's not the first time. He is a repeat, repeat offender, which is part of the reason they suspended him, as Jace mentioned. And you know what? If they if they do bring him back, I don't know what his contract situation is like. If he, if the appeal if he wins his appeal and maybe gets a couple games at the end of the season, I hope the Raiders cut him and everybody else just moves on because he's not worth the headache. And uh, just another. Raider in the news. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, if you remember with the Antonio Brown stuff, he was the quote team leader who had to who had to wrangle Antonio Brown and kind of separate him from getting infused in the locker room, which is just tells you the state of that franchise at the moment. Yeah, you know, they're doing some special things in Oakland. Uh, Richie Incognito's on the team. If you guys weren't aware of oh, that, uh, <laughs> he's back full, in the NFL. Full so of class guys. Uh, Raiders two and two though. So shout out them, I guess. <laughs> Last note I want to bring up about the NFL. 
Los Angeles Rams, 3-0. They were cruising, had a nice home game against Tampa Bay, and gave up 55 points and yeah. lost to the now 2-2 two two Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Antonio, you mentioned uh, the Bucs in your Jekyll and Hyde teams. Um, this was the most points the Buccaneers franchise has ever scored in their 45-plus seasons, whatever they're at these days. Um Mind-boggling. The Rams' defense looks so good against <laughs> the Browns, who then just torched the Ravens. Yeah. And they could not stop the Bucks. Now, the Bucks actually, I guess, offense has looked pretty good throughout the year. But there are, it's a Jameis Winston-led team. There's going to be Jameis Winston plays, which can be both good and a lot of, a lot of picks. So... Good Which for the Bucs. He but... had one of those. Yeah, he did have one of those. <laughs> one pick try, six in this game. But, away. <laughs> but uh, enough, enough good plays to score 55 points. I'm yeah, he, and he went over 400 yards, so a good day by the Bucks for sure. Yeah, and, and one just one quick note, and then Jace, being our L.A. resident, I do have a quick question for you. Um, I heard on a podcast today that Byron Leftwich has taken over the play calling from Bruce Arians. Yeah, he uh, is the Bucks offensive coordinator. <laughs> which is incredible as someone who grew up with Byron Leftwich on those Jaguars we talked about before. Uh, see, getting to that age now where you're seeing guys you watched play now in coaching positions I think is pretty interesting. So good on them. I've always had kind of a little bit of a soft spot for the Buccaneers. So I hope, you know, they, they keep doing what they're doing down there in Tampa Bay. Yeah, and, they're in the mix. Yeah, absolutely. And real quickly, Jace, they talked about golf getting that extension was a little bit of a head-scratcher for people when it happened. You know, clearly they wanted to put faith in the guy who just took him to the Super Bowl, but there was the argument that this is all on McVay and, you know, anybody could be inserted into that offense and do do special things. 45 for 68 yesterday, or excuse me, on Sunday. 517 yards, two touchdowns, but three interceptions. Jace, I know you're not, you know, embedded with L.A. Rams fans all the time, but you probably get a little bit more of it than we do over here. Are people kind of concerned about the Jared Goff thing or thinking, <sighs> why did we pay this guy when we maybe could have used him as a trade asset <laughs> or moved on and maybe signed somebody else after his rookie deal was up? I, th- I think definitely a little bit. I think it's clear at this point that Carson Wentz, uh, this is more of a personal opinion, but Carson Wentz is definitely the better of the two QBs taken atop the 2016 NFL draft. I don't really think that's debatable anymore. Um I think Wentz is good, and I don't mind the fact that he's a system QB as much, given the fact that you assume he'll be playing in Sean McVay's system the whole You're time. About he's golf, yeah, golf. golf, yeah, yeah. But he definitely is a system QB, and I think that is a problem to make a quote unquote system QB the highest uh, guaranteed contract in NFL history, which you know will be passed. But for now, it's uh, I think it's definitely a concern. I think. The Rams will only go kind of as far as he goes because obviously Todd Gurley is not the same as he once was. So, right, and, that, and then, right for me, and that's the reason that this golf thing happened. I mean, I think they're aware that Todd Gurley is not going to be sort of the answer for them. So, two years from now, were you going to completely start over right. uh, your entire offensive identity with a new running back and a new quarterback? But you use the system. You have a guy who you think can run the system. Uh, you pay him now, and and you know. Try to go back to the Super Bowl. I mean, you realize how close you were. Um, I, I'm curious to see what happens to Todd Gurley in the next year. He had five carries in this game for 16 yards, and they've kept saying that he's fine, he's fine, and he'll get more touches. And then he just doesn't, and he hasn't looked good at all. He scored two touchdowns, but they were both like five-yard runs. So, I mean, 
I'm sort of circling your answer without, you know, touching on it directly, but they were not in a position to just start over completely with this offense when the defense is frankly filled with a lot of veterans. So the core is now, and, and they want to hang on to what, you know, the piece that they think can run McVay's system. Sure, just a quick note. I do want to mention this, and again, according to SpotTrack.com, with all the salary cap info, Jared Goff, $10 million cap hit in 2019, this season. 2020, $36 million. The season after that, Thirty point five or thirty-two million, excuse me, and then twenty twenty-two with thirty point five. Obviously, all that can be restructured, but that's a huge that's chunk a of the salary cap for a guy who, as Jay said, is a system guy. You know, McVeigh could want a new challenge or maybe yeah. go off and do something else, and then what are you doing with this guy? Yeah, the concern would be someone like Jerry Jones, I guess, paying Sean McVeigh, being like, "Here's fifteen million dollars a year to be like head coach of the Dallas Cowboys," and he'll just be like, "Well, see ya." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I guess if you're the Rams and you have Jared Goff at this number, for now, I think it's fine. I think yesterday was, uh, I mean, he hasn't been great this season, but I think Sunday was probably more of um, just a bad game, but definitely some. Minor concerns at this point. Sure. Let's move on now to uh, a, a segment that we have on the show where we Ooh. we we let Jace take a few minutes. Uh, and this segment's called What's Bothering Jace. If you haven't listened to the show yet, I'll give you a little brief explanation. Jace Evans, uh, known throughout the East Coast, really, and now the West Coast, for uh, for going on sports rants for things that are really just grinding his gears and, and that he needs to talk about. So we've decided to give him a few minutes every episode, uh, to, to really tell us what's got him down this week. So, Jace, I ask you, what's bothering Jace? I'll tell you what, Antonio. Why are we playing good NFL games, good matchups on Thursdays now? Thursdays are reserved for the domain of, you know, Jaguars-Titans, perfect Thursday game. Falcons-Panthers, let's play that. Bucks-Panthers, we saw that on Thursday already this year. But last week and then this week, we have good matchups that have no reason to be played on such short notice. Uh, you know, these games obviously are never pretty because teams got about two full days to prepare because they take at least one recovery day. Uh, but we had um, Eagles Packers, which might have been the game of the week. It actually was a, a decently played game. But that sc- game screams like a 4 p.m. Uh, Eastern playing up in Lambeau on Sunday afternoon. Sunday night matchup, even a Monday night matchup. Instead, we're playing on Thursday. This week, Seahawks-Rams. That game should be great. It's for basically for supremacy of the NFC, or the, excluding the Niners, but huge 3 and one matchup of NFC West teams. Why is this not a Sunday afternoon game? I do not understand what they're doing with this schedule. I think it does a disservice to the teams, especially teams that we're like, these teams will be competing for playoff spots. Certainly like the Rams and Seahawks will. Um... And I just think it's a bad scheduling idea. I understand they want football on Thursdays, but just, like, keep it to the bad teams. That's that's what's been bothering me this week. <laughs> the following week, New York football giants at the New England Patriots. That's a Thursday night game for yeah. week six. Perfect. <laughs> that game will be, like, 45 to 10. That's great. That's, that's what I want from a Thursday off. <laughs> you know what? Jumping on that, too, Jace, I'm just looking here. You have the good Thursday night game next week, Ram Seahawks, like you mentioned. And then there's only two 4 o'clock games. There's Broncos, Chargers, Packers, Cowboys. Then there's a Sunday night game and a Monday night game, obviously. Everything else is at 1 o'clock. Yeah, so this week the NFL is trying to get everyone to watch uh, Cowboys-Packers, you know, marquee matchup between two of probably the four most popular NFL teams. 
Uh, so I think they're just trying to set a ratings record on Fox. That's why I guess they're just a, <laughs> conspiracy they had, theory music. Yeah, well, that's our thought anyway. But uh, um, it certainly seems like that because yeah, there's there's what ten early games and two afternoon yes. games. It's insane. That it makes no sense <laughs> uh, for scheduling unless there was the conspiracy angle of that. So yeah, I. NFL scheduling is always a mess, but in particular, these actually good matchups on a Thursday have just been perplexing me. Also, first London game. Should throw that out there. Bears Raiders. Just going to be a barn burner, that one. So that was what's bothering Jace. Uh, I'll, Jace, I'll try to make a call to the league, and, and you know, I'll see, I'll see what they can do about that. Get, get to the uh, bottom of this. I think they should just eliminate the Thursday night game entirely. But uh, well, I'm sure that's going to happen very, very soon. We dare to dream, but <laughs> so let's move on now to a section, a uh, segment rather that we like to call Random Ravens, where every week one of the co-hosts picks a random dude from Ravens years of past, and gives clues, and tries to have the other two co-hosts guess who that Raven is. The listener also has an opportunity to guess who this player is, and the answer is revealed at the end of the show. Tim, it is your turn this week. What you got for your random Raven? Yeah, so my first one was BJ Sams. Uh, some other guys that we've had, Owen Daniels, Marlon Brown, and TJ Hushmanzada. So very heavy on the receivers as well. If the listener, by the way, I want to make sure I throw this out there, if you have a random Raven that you want us to try to guess... Please email us at podlikearaven at gmail.com. Whoever sees it first will just have to save it and then delete the email. But uh, <laughs> we will keep your random raven in mind and, uh, and give you a shout-out when we actually go over that player that week. So please uh, send it to us. Yeah, social media, too, at podlikearaven on Twitter and Instagram. Obviously, all of our personal uh, accounts are linked to that, too. Um, I know I shouldn't be saying this to everybody, but my DMs are open if you'd like to just message me one. I've actually had a couple. This is not one of them. Um, I've had one suggestion that I really love. I think it's the clue that I would use for it might be a little easy, but I will use it because I want the listeners to be a part of this as well um, later on down the line. This is not that one. I have five clues and then a bonus clue for you, which is definitely not going to help you guys, but I just figure it's some common knowledge you should know. So here we go. (laughs) Clue number one. When I was drafted out of Arizona, I was part of a four-team draft class for the Ravens. That included Chris McAllister, Brandon Stokely, oh, no. and Anthony Pointexter. Oh, boy. I started in 102 games over eight seasons for the Ravens. From 2000 to 2005, I started at least 14 games a season for Baltimore. Clue number three. Even <laughs> though I was a mainstay on Baltimore's offense, I never made a single Pro Bowl. That could be any offensive player for the Ravens in that era. I know. (laughs) Clue number four. In my final season with Baltimore in 2006, I was supplanted as a starter by Jason Brown. After leaving the Ravens, I played two seasons with the Detroit Lions before retiring in 2008. And Jace Jace has it. I think so. I think you're going to get it with this clue. Clue number five. I played next to one of the best offensive linemen of all time, okay. yeah. winning <gasps> Super Bowl 35 with the Ravens. Bonus number six, I ran by a young Tim Horsey in training camp and was the first signature that this young Ravens fan ever had. So, <laughs> so I thought I had it at clue four. I think it was clue four. Confirmed with, with clue five, but we'll let this, uh, JC, you're feeling, but you had it, I think, one before me, even. Oh, I, what? Oh, 
being a Ravens fan, when Tim said 99 and started until 05 or whatever, I immediately thought, oh, defense. <laughs> then you said offense. That's I why I went the other way. Yeah, yeah I was like, oh. But uh, yeah, I, I think I, I pieced it together around the, <laughs> uh, the the starting, that kind of stuff. So You know what uh, didn't help me is that he went to Arizona. I, that was not yeah. a thing I knew at all. Snooze. <laughs> so we will, uh, we will reveal, I should say Tim rather, will reveal the random raven at the end of the episode. But if it's who I think it is... A very good one. Thank you. So let's move now to previewing the upcoming game. The Ravens will play at the Pittsburgh Steelers. I didn't have to look if the game was home or away because they're alternating every week. So home game against the Browns in Pittsburgh for the Steelers game. We don't have a ton to go off of because of the fact that the Steelers are playing the Bengals right now. What do we know? We know that the defense has to fix their mistakes, particularly in the secondary we know that Mason Rudolph is probably not going to burn the Ravens, but James Conner certainly could. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what do you guys think about this matchup against Pittsburgh on Sunday? So this is not to answer a question with a question, but this is a big picture thing I was just thinking about as we were doing the show. Um, this is the first Ravens-Steelers game that has ever been played in which Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, or Terrell Suggs were not part of the Ravens organization. So... That's kind of weird. Um, it's definitely a new era. And with Roethlisberger injured, it's weird to me to say, like, I feel like the animosity that was once in and the hatred, I guess, that was once in this rivalry um, is sort of gone. Not gone, but it'll always be there. But I definitely feel a lot less strongly. And especially now with, you know, A.B. Le'Veon, Ben Roethlisberger out. I feel a lot less strongly about the Steelers now than I did, you know, five, ten years ago. What? How do you guys, I guess, just feel about the Steelers at whole at this weird kind of juncture for both the Ravens and the Steelers? Yeah, I'd say both teams are in a new era completely. Um, it's not the same guys. It's not You're not facing off with Heinz Ward and Jarrett oh Johnson. And, you know, got, like these these both of these teams were incredibly consistent in terms of roster um, development. And the guys on the team, your starters, a lot of the time, there wasn't a lot of turnover. You know, the few pieces here and there, but then there was a lot of animosity. These two teams were also consistently at the top of the NFL for a long time. This was a premier, if not the premier matchup in the NFL um, for a couple seasons there. Every time these two faced off, a lot of times ending in tragedy, which is not great, (laughs) but... I think I think you're right, Jace. I'm always going to have a deep-seated hatred for the Pittsburgh Steelers <laughs> and the mouth breathers that follow them. I'm a kid, of course. Um, just a little jab. Um, but but it is a, it's going to be different. You kind of have to forge a new as a fan. You are you're almost forging a new. Who do I dislike on this team? You know what I mean? Is it going to be Juju Smith-Schuster? Probably not. Is it going to be a guy like James Conner? Maybe if he eviscerates us and with uh, hopefully Brandon Williams is back. We'll see about that. Um, but yeah, but there's not as many noticeable figures where you go in and you're just like you despise every little yeah, thing that they do, you know, and, and you love it when they get whacked going across the middle, stuff like that. Those guys are gone. That being said, these two fan bases do not like each other. It's still one of my favorite weeks of the year, if not one of the more stressful weeks of the year. Um, playing against Pittsburgh, and, and I'm excited. I, I think, too, as Antonio said, take you behind the curtain, time of recording. We don't know the result to the Monday night game quite yet. 
But this is going to be – this is a prime opportunity. This is a perfect opportunity for this Ravens defense to right some wrongs. It's against a big rival. Um, you know, all eyes are going to be on, on this game. Even the, quote, casual Ravens fan will be locked in for Pittsburgh week. Um, you're playing an unproven quarterback who you have done very well against lower-level quarterbacks this season in Kyler Murray, an up-and-comer, and in uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. This is another chance to prove that you can still eat those guys alive. Um, they're going to be, even if they're 0-4, Heinz Field is going to be rocking. It always is. You know, Steelers, part of the reason this rivalry is so good is because their fans are, are very, very good. You know, all jokes aside um, from before. So I'm very excited. I, I'm maybe not excited to watch this defense play after what these past two weeks, but I really, really hope to take the opportunity for some redemption, and I think they can. You almost wish... Ben Roethlisberger, almost wish Ben Roethlisberger were playing in this game nope. to sort of bring that flame of this <laughs> nope. rivalry back. Jace, to answer your question, I think these things, they just, they they are so malleable. They change every few years. The Ravens, I think, are just bigger rivals with the Browns now based on how these two teams are situated. They both have two young, uh, you know, stud quarterbacks who are going to go, you know, go against each other twice a week for the next 10 years, whereas the Steelers are obviously in a much more transition transitionary uh, phase. Um, you know who's still there is Mike Tomlin, and he's still going against John Harbaugh. And those two guys definitely don't like each other. Probably from the time that Mike Tomlin stepped on the field to trip Jacoby Jones, who was trying to return uh, return a kick for a touchdown. <laughs> the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen, and then the trying to play it off. But yeah, we don't have to get into that. But, but on the whole, I I just think these Steelers are way more likable than they ever have been. And there's just not guys, especially on the offensive side of the ball, that I hate when I'm looking at. I kind of root kind of root for James Conner. I kind of liked him when it was. Uh, you know, can he take the spot of Le'Veon Bell? Because I did not like Le'Veon Bell. Well, so and, I found myself and, sort of hoping that James Conner had a good season. Yeah, and James Conner is a good, great story. You know, cancer survivor, um, local guy. Uh, Juju seems very nice. Um, <laughs> I guess in terms of this matchup, I think that'll be Juju versus Marlon Humphrey, probably the big, um, you know, focal point in terms of the actual game. But yeah, Mason Rudolph, 14-27-174 against the Niners. Uh, Ravens historically have played pretty well against rookie QBs. Kyler Murray got some yards on them, but he was the number one overall pick. Mason Rudolph was a second-day guy, maybe even a third-day guy. Um, So I still like the Ravens' chances. Um, I will still be very stressed about this game, and when we get to picks, we'll see, I guess, how stressed I still am. But... Uh, yeah, I think it's still the animosity, maybe not quite the same, but it's still a fun week. It still should be a fun game, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I, I say these guys, I don't hate any of these players, and then give me two drives in the first quarter of the game on Sunday, and I won't like two of them for oh, whatever reason. God. There'll be some hits I don't like, or, or you know, penalties that weren't called, and that'll be the new player that I hate for the next ten years in the Steelers. I, if you guys are ready, I think we can get to the picks unless you have some other uh, some other things you want to bring up, Tim. Yeah, I would just say generally this is going to be another case for the Ravens to take advantage of a middling defense in every sort of general category. The Steelers aren't aren't great, but they're not awful uh, as well. Again, a lot of that could change with how they perform tonight um, as we're recording this. But I think this Ravens, I think this Ravens offense is now at a level where. They need to control the game against defenses that are middling or lower or, or or struggling defenses in the NFL. 
And I have full confidence they can do that. I'm, I'm way more confident in the offensive line than I thought I would be. Obviously still some struggles there, but not nearly as detrimental as I thought it would be. And there's not really, outside of T.J. Watt, who is not his brother, but is still is a nuisance from that outside linebacker position, nobody on that front seven really, really scares me too much. Bud Dupree, okay. Mark Barron, I have no sense of how good he is as an inside linebacker nowadays. Cam Hayward is fine, been in the league a while. Stefan Tuitt, kind of the same thing. Just a fine guy. Nobody who I really think, you know, a guy like Marshall Yonda is going to have any trouble with. Um, so setting at, setting the tempo early, being able to effectively run the ball, get Mark Andrews involved as much as possible. You know, we say this all the time, but it's because this is how this is the bread and butter bread and butter of this team, and it's how they're going to win games. Um, being able to control that clock, keep the pressure off the defense. And if you go up by 10, 14 points, whatever it is, the defense can play a little more dangerously. Wink Martindale can can throw a couple more blitzes in there, and you can get after and fluster a Mason Rudolph and maybe, you know, for lack of a better term, maybe step on the throat earlier than, than anticipated. So that's the key to success uh, for this team. And, yeah, I, I, I'm never confident with these games, especially what we've seen the last two weeks. But I think this is, this is a perfect opportunity like I said before, as a redemption game for the entire Ravens team, and I absolutely love that it's at one o'clock and not eight. <laughs> yeah, I mean this is the same game plan as against Cleveland, except I'm just a lot less concerned about Baker Mayfield having multiple options to throw to all over the field. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I think we'll be able to run the ball even if we're behind, even if we go down seven points, ten points. I think we can still slow the game down and grind it out. Uh, and I'm just not concerned with Mason Rudolph sort of making this a shootout. You know, if it is a shootout, I, I'm happy because I take Lamar Jackson over Mason Rudolph. But I think the Ravens run the ball well, sort of get back to the what they're used to, get a lead, and, and force Mason Rudolph to play from behind. And I've well, decided Mason Rudolph is a two name guy. He's not. A, he's not Rudolph. He's fair. Mason Rudolph every single time. Okay, first name, last name. Um, <laughs> I guess the only other thing, is this Lamar Jackson's first appearance? Did he appear against the Steelers last year? I don't recall if that was the first game he ended up getting into. Um, certainly his first start against the Steelers. So that's like also I remember that. Yeah. yeah. That would stand um, out. I don't think so. Last year's Steelers game was arguably the last real gasp of the Joe Flacco uh, era. Um, but... Uh, yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see for sure. It's, as we said, different era kind of for both teams, but it should be a fun one. That's a great point. Seeing seeing Lamar up, this is where he makes his name with all Ravens fans coming out and going into going into Heinz Field and and playing very well against the Steelers team and walking out with a W. I mean, people are going to love him even more than they already do. Which is nice. one thing that's sort of been forgotten. I mean, I saw this stat and I apologize. I can't remember who I you know who I where I saw it. Lamar Jackson so far has pretty much, he's on pace for every single franchise quarterback record yep. oh, wow. in the book. <laughs> it's like touch, touchdowns, passing yards, completion percentage. He's, everything is on pace to have cool. the best quarterback season in a Ravens uniform of all time. Well, yeah, we kind of glossed over him and said he had a so-so day. He was 24-34-247 with three TDs and two late picks uh, on Sunday. So yeah, he's been fantastic to watch. That's awesome. <laughs> Just real quickly... Uh, <laughs> It was Flacco's last start was Pittsburgh at Baltimore, a 23-16 win for the Steelers. Um, Then he hurt his hip and was replaced by Lamar Jackson, who has now taken over. Also, 
I know why I blacked that game out of my memory, because on the call for CBS was Ian Eagle, Dan Fouts, <laughs> and Evan Washburn. Oh, Evan. <laughs> All right, so let's get to this pick then. Uh, the Ravens on the road in Pittsburgh are favored by four. Well, let me backtrack. Actually, all of us thought that the Ravens getting seven points in an AFC North game was crazy in that game against the Browns. We all picked that very well. Congratulations to us. Uh, the Ravens, as seven-point favorites, did not cover that game, losing 40-25. to 25. This week, Baltimore still favorite against another AFC North team. Only four. They're on the road. I'm taking the Ravens. I'm taking the Ravens. Cool. I, I think I'm going to disagree with the two of you, but uh, I guess I'll bring it on. But I think the Ravens get back on track. I think th- I think the secondary fixes their problems only because of the matchup that sure. they have. Uh, and then, you know, we'll talk again in, in two weeks and three weeks when the, when the problems come up again. I don't think it happens this game. Tim, it's a 1 o'clock game. I love it. Uh, I think the Ravens establish the run. I, I think they don't turn the ball over and win this by 7 to 10 points. Yeah, I disagree. Um, but I, I just, <laughs> because I am an incredible pessimist, I think Rudolph at home, I think Connor is going to be able to kind of set the tempo for them. You know, I kind of talked about it the opposite way with the Ravens offense. They're going to run Connor to death, um, and I think that he's going to have a pretty decent day. Do we know if... Uh, Brandon Williams will be back. Has there been any announcement? We that? don't. But I mean, it's it was it was something that it's kind of a late breaking thing. So I assume it's not super super um, you, you know a big injury I should say. So I think he's going to be back. That could be that could a be differentiating a differentiating factor by itself. As we saw against Cleveland, absolutely. Um, Any time that it's first of all, I hate betting Baltimore. Like in real life, <laughs> I will never bet with against for or against the Ravens. Um, give me a close Ravens win, probably like a three-point win, uh, a solid performance, but because it's Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, I don't care who's playing, um, especially a quarterback, it's it's always going to be a tough game. And because mainly this is all just a heart pick because I'm such a pessimist when it comes to this game, and I know it's always close, and I've watched us blow this game more, to, more often than not. Again, completely different teams in terms of personnel. I'm taking Steelers in the points, but we come out of Heinz Field 3-2. Uh, and two. Uh, I'm exactly with Tim. Ravens went by three, which means Steelers plus four is the pick. <laughs> um, uh, I don't, yeah, exact same reasons for Tim, so I don't need to go into it too much. But I think it'll be close. I do think the Ravens will win, but it being four instead of three terrified me. That uh, seemingly means the Ravens have to most likely Stay win by close away. to a touchdown. <laughs> the line uh, opened at three, by the way, and has moved to four. Just enough to scare away Jay Sennett. I do think someone will remind John Harbaugh that he has the best kicker in the league, so we'll probably see some more field goals in this game. (laughs) We're going to have to talk about that at some point. I know it's not for this podcast, but it's going to keep happening. (laughs) Analytics John over there. Um, And we're going to have to discuss, discuss that in future, I believe. And Justin Tucker, in my opinion, has been a better kicker than every Pittsburgh Steeler kicker at at, in Pittsburgh, which which has always been something to to enjoy. All right, so uh, so we're a little split on on this Ravens pick. We'll uh, we'll see just how right I was when we come back next week. Let's get to the other picks. Uh, Tim, do you want to take some other NFL? Yeah, games? just real quickly, and it's it's a theme that I think we can talk about um, throughout. I just I don't like this slate at all. It's a tough week. <laughs> it's a very much a stay away, especially coming off of such a random weekend. Excuse me, of NFL games. Um, one, I'm going to take. 
We talked about Tampa whooping up on the LA Rams. This line, they're playing New Orleans at home, New Orleans in the dome. It opened New Orleans New Orleans minus six and a half. It's now minus three and a half. I think that team, even with Teddy Bridgewater, is one of the most talented in the NFL. I think they're one of the best teams in the NFL. And Tampa's got Jameis Winston, and that dome <laughs> is going to be super loud. He's going to make mistakes. Give me New Orleans minus three and a half at home to Tampa. And real quickly, I hate to do it because I love one of these quarterbacks and I don't love another one of them. Uh, give me Phillip Rivers and the L.A. Chargers minus six and a half at home against Denver. Denver's got a great fan base. They've got generations of fans now. Like every L.A. Chargers game, it's going to be a, a home game for the other <laughs> team. It'll be about 80-20, I think, in terms of Denver fans that are traveling out to L.A. to hang out with Jason and the Chargers. Uh, but give me uh, – we might see Melvin Gordon in this game. I don't even know if he featured – uh, last uh, he week. did not actually. He was, I believe, I don't know if he was active, but he was. He did. He's back with the team, so he should yes. play in this game. Yes, he is back with the team. Obviously, won't be the bell cow that he usually is, but I think we'll get some touches. Bradley Chubb has been is hurt. Yeah, he's done for the year actually. Out for the season, a big loss for that defense. Um, and man, I, it might be it for Joseph. I love, I love Mr. Flacco, but yeah. 0 4 now. It's they kept they kept it close. Obviously, lost on the game winning field goal uh, thanks to Minshew mania. But give me L A Chargers minus six and a half at home. Sadly, against the Denver Broncos. Yeah, Sorry, Phil. the Broncos look like they might be heading towards like three and thirteen. It, it's rough out there. And the, it's Justin the, Herbert six five. He he is. <laughs> okay, good. All right, they'll be fine because then John Elway will want to draft him. Just yeah. Sure. Uh, so my picks are the New England Patriots minus 15.5, 15 and a half point favorites at the Washington Redskins. Um, the Redskins scored three points and their two QBs, including first round pick Dwayne Haskins, who made his NFL debut Sunday, um, combined for four interceptions. Um, that's not great for a New England team that allowed its first offensive touchdown of the year against Josh Allen. Um, I don't think they're going to give up a TD in this game. <laughs> so uh, it, uh, I think they're going to win massively. Brady and the offense seemed out of sync. The Bills defense much better than the Redskins. I think the Patriots will be wanting to uh, prove a point, teach a lesson that, hey, our offense isn't bad, actually. And I think they're going to run this score up big time. I think I think we could have a 50 burger in the nation's capital. Wow. And so I'm picking the. The pick of the Patriots, or I should say, uh, not the nation's capital, but the beautiful locale of Landover, Maryland. <laughs> Landover, um, Maryland. There you go. Uh, and then my other pick is uh, in the big uh, Sunday afternoon game, Packers plus 3.5, three and a half point underdogs against the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys scored 10 points um, uh, Sunday night against the Saints. And, you know, Jerry World, not an especially great home field advantage. Um Aaron Rodgers back? Question mark. He certainly looked at uh, Thursday uh, against um, the Eagles. Now they did lose that game, and he threw the deflected interception late. But he had a monster game, and if he's rolling, I think the Packers defense is actually pretty good. Um, and I like their chance. I like Aaron Rodgers' chances to at least uh, that half point is so so crucial. So I'm, I'm taking the Packers there. Real quickly, I just want to mention the AFC North is garbage. The NFC North is incredible. Yeah, the uh, Vikings are the worst team at two and two. Yeah, the Vikings, uh, Lions, obviously, have surprised everybody. Uh, Bears and Packers, both very good, and a lot of people suspected that. And the defenses, too. I mean, the Packers' defense, you say, is pretty good. I think the Packers' defense is very good. Um, they're just being overshadowed a bit because they're not 
the Vikings nor the Bears, who right. are probably the best defense in the NFL. Jace, I love that Packers pick. I'm going to take that one as well. Three and a half just seems right. That's a game I could see Aaron Rodgers with the game-winning touchdown pass in the fourth quarter, and, and that's a comfortable cover. I had one game on here, and then I changed it, and I'm making uh, a last-minute uh, decision here. I'm riding Minshew Mania. Jacksonville is getting three and a half points at Carolina. Did the Panthers just beat the Texans? Yes. Do I believe in Kyle Allen? No. No, I do not. And I'm all over Minshew. He's getting points. Not only do they cover three and a half, but they win in Carolina, and the Jags go to three and two. I'm very glad that I, I could make you buy in. That you know my my analysis was okay, was mediocre enough that you bought into the Minshew mania. I'm all for it. Um, I actually take take me behind the curtain. I had that pick, and then I, I kind of just X'd it out. Even though I love me some Gardner <laughs> Minshew, but uh, yeah, I think I don't believe in Carolina. Do so. not give the Jags front seven three and a half points, and yep. do not let Minshew just run wild. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. So before we close up here, there's only one thing left to do, and that's answer the random raven. I think I have it, but I'm not as, comfort- as comfortable as Jace is, so I'll let Jace take the stab here because he had it before I did. Now, Jace, before you do this, real quick for people, uh, you know, it was about 10 to 15 minutes ago. Let's just run down these real quickly. Drafted out of Arizona, part of a four-team draft class that included Chris McAllister, Brandon Stokely, and Anthony Poindexter. Started 102 games over eight seasons, and from 2000 to, with the Ravens, I should say, from 2000 to 2005, started at least 14 games a year with Baltimore. Was a mainstay on that Baltimore offense in his time, but he never made a single Pro Bowl. Uh, Final season was in 2006, and then was supplanted as a starter by Jason Brown. After leaving the Ravens, played two seasons with the Detroit Lions before retiring in 2008. And he played next to one of the best defensive linemen, or excuse me, offensive linemen of all time. Almost threw you for a curveball there. Uh, One of the best (laughs) offensive linemen of all time, winning Super Bowl 35 with the Baltimore Ravens. Jace Evans, who is the random Raven? Edwin Mulatalo. Edwin Mulatalo. Edwin Mulatalo. I'm pretty sure I have his bobblehead somewhere yes. in my basement. <laughs> Edwin Mulatalo. Uh, I will always remember Edwin Mulatalo because when I was a young kid going to the training camps in Westminster, Maryland, in my hometown, um, I got in line to get some autographs. I held out the big white ball that you could sign on. And Mulatalo had pens in both hands, and he just sprinted down to the locker room and just found every little kid and did like a quick scribble and that was the first training camp signature I ever got was Edwin Mulatalo. Did so you get the uh, left-handed signature or the right-handed signature? I got signature? the right hand. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. I uh, right also side. a 98 Rock mainstay, I believe, on their, yes. <laughs> their yep. Ravens. Yep. Big, r- big 98 Rock guy. Um, Edwin Mulatalo, great random Raven, Tim. We will be back next week with another random Raven. It'll be back to Jace to decide... I think I got a good one. Oh, Jace is already prepared. I've been sitting on a few, uh, (laughs) and I think I have have one, yeah. So then I'm I'm still waiting on mine for two weeks. So listeners, please send in some names. I would love to uh, to take one of your picks for for Random Ravens in a few weeks, but we'll have Jace next week. Anything else, guys, before we close up this episode? Uh, We've mentioned it a couple times. Obviously, we're now on Apple Podcasts, which most people do listen to their podcasts via that service. So... uh, like, rate, subscribe. Uh, we've got a couple reviews already. Um, I'm feeling that if we get some more in there, the best ones I want to read out uh, during a bye week or when we get into a little bit more of a dead period. I know that's a little bit down the line, but get those in. Um, we would love, 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 love to hear your feedback. And look, we're not just looking for the five-star rating is great. 
Um, that that obviously helps us a lot. But in the comment, if you have something, if you have a criticism or something you want to see changed or um, an idea for a segment or you disagree with a point we had, any sort of feedback like that is appreciated. Um, Email us privately and then write a good review anyway. Is that what you're going to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Do okay. that. Do that. Do that. Um, but seriously, any feedback that you guys have, uh, positive or constructive criticism, um, is always appreciated. Please don't troll us because that's just annoying. Uh, but yeah, th- th- thanks as always. I just, I always want to say at the very end of these, thank you so much for listening. You know, this is kind of a mini dream for us to get this thing back up and running again. And, and the the reaction so far has been great. So please keep it coming. We always we always appreciate that stuff. All right, uh, another great show in the books. We will be back next week to see how the Ravens fared in the rivalry with the Pittsburgh Steelers. For Tim Horsey and Jay Sevens, I'm Antonio Barbera. Thank you so much for listening to Pod Like a Raven. See you next week. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.